So, Michael, you've done a lot here to demystify K, to show that it's not a cult. You don't to be, you don't need to belong to a race of semi. We do pray to Arthur every every Thursday. Oh, no. so. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of ArrayCast. Today we have a special guest who we will get to introducing in a couple minutes. But before we do that, we're going to go around and do brief introductions from our panelists, and then we'll have a few announcements and one follow-up. So we'll go to Stephen, then to Bob, then to Marshall, and then to Adam. I'm Stephen Taylor. I'm an APL and Q programmer. I'm Bob Terrio. I am a J enthusiast. I'm Marshall Lockbaum. I'm a former J programmer, dialogue developer, uh, now BQN developer. I'm Adam Brodsevsky, full-time APL programmer and teacher. And my name is Connor. I'm a professionally a research scientist, and I'll just I'll just start saying that I'm a polyglot from now on. That I know multiple languages. Um, so I think we have one follow-up that we will throw it to Marshall for, and then after that, uh, we've got a couple announcements: one from Stephen, and then a couple from Adam. So uh, let's start with the follow-up from Marshall. Um, yeah. So last episode we talked about um, you know what makes. Uh, what puts something in the APL family, the Iversonian family of languages? Um, and one thing I think it was Adam brought up after the episode that we didn't uh, think of during the episode was uh, that all these Iversonian languages have no precedence between um, what uh, in APL are functions or in what in like C or another language would be operators. So you, if you have like plus, minus, times, divide, all of those are on the same level. They uh, They apply um th there's no like you don't have to know that multiplication happens before addition so that would put um all the the classics apl j k bqn um actually neil as well in the iversonian or, or closer to the iversonian category and um it would throw out a lot of other families like futhark like um wolfram language um so that's an interesting criterion that we didn't bring up yeah, maybe we should have a whole episode at some point on, maybe we can tie that in, because at some point we have slotted a discussion about overloading, and I feel like that might go sort of hand in hand, because there's other languages, interestingly, Smalltalk doesn't have, actually, I think they do to a certain extent, but like the same way that when you have plus times, like a mathematical expression, it just evaluates left to right, whereas APL is right to left. Um, but yeah, we will uh, stay tuned, listeners. And we may, may talk about this in the future. So let's go to Stephen for uh, our announcements now. Since the last episode, we've held a couple of Q vector dojos. In these, uh, in these dojos, we're concentrating on the shift from working in loops and scalar, that scalar languages kind of teach you thinking to moving to vector solutions, getting, fat, getting fluent with the techniques and being able to see the vector solutions rather than what Joel beautifully described on this podcast as the one potato, two potato approach. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, we, for the time being, we're keeping the dojo small. So there's, they're like tutorial groups. Uh, there's me and no more than three other people. We work for an hour and a half hour or so uh, on problems that suit all of us. It's highly informal. It's very interactive. Nobody gets left out. Everybody gets to participate on the, on the solution. And it's been a lot of fun. The next one will be in the next week or so. It will suit the India time zone. As I've had a lot of interest from people in India and uh, the uh, 
and we need to pick a time zone that suits them. If you're not already plugged into this, uh, the conversation is in the Iverson College workspace on Slack. If you'd like to get in, write to me, sjt at 5jt.com. Awesome. And I think, yeah, links will be in the show notes. Yeah. And I think, Adam, you've got a couple more announcements. Yeah, so um, Richard... Park and I have released a new episode of our APL Notation as a Tool of Thought uh, podcast, uh, this time on notational awkwardnesses. That should be fun. Um, I, have to, I have to interrupt. I have to interrupt. And I said I would do this before. <laughs> Is it really a podcast yet? Because it does not exist in the podcast-topia. And I have checked, I wouldn't say every day. Um, but I've checked a few times cause I know it's on YouTube and there is an MP3 file on a website or like a playable thing, but it is for those that are listening and being like, I haven't found it on my app. I think that's because it's not on any of the apps yet. Is this correct? Yeah. I have this weird thing about not wanting to pay for external services or indeed use any libraries or anything. So I'm trying to implement the whole uh, RSS feed from scratch myself. Oh, and that explains it. That explains so it. So <laughs> until I figure out how to do this right, and uh, it's not there, but I think I have some some leads. What makes an internet broadcast a podcast? We <laughs> must have an episode on this. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Meta! If somebody out there wants to help me, uh, the repository you can link to it. You can see what it looks like, and uh, I'll be happy with it some help to get it right when he gets it right we'll all be living in adam's world yeah okay then uh, and there was recently this uh dialect user meeting um and little by little dialect is releasing these uh, videos of people's presentations and so there's a whole set again that was released uh, on some both some some technical stuff and some uh, user experience, people doing actual things with APL. So can go and check that out. Yeah, and especially I'd like to to point out there's something that hasn't happened for many many years is that we put out a special edition of the interpreter called the conference edition, um, and it's and it's a special build of the interpreter where um, lots of experimental features are there. It might not be stable. It can give. Uh, firm errors and stuff when you use it uh, but there's some really cool stuff that some of which might go into version 19 um and we it is even it's available after the the user meeting anybody can go and download it and play with it and really, really like feedback both positive and negative feedback on that this is crazy or that's awesome or you could do it like that some things have just been done in a certain way because that's the idea John Daintree got and might want to do it differently. Two, two short questions. Are there sort primitives and is there the BQN before, a.k.a. the Sigma Combinator? Any, any of those? No, it doesn't have any new primitives. Uh, it's just part of, it's just the system, basically, that's different. However, um, there will, it hasn't been released yet, but I did a presentation on uh, three new primitives that uh, we're thinking of adding and it has been met with uh, applause both uh, internally and at the user meeting with the audience there. So it's pretty certain that we are getting those. One of which is indeed that back 
what's composed or what you want to call it behind one so, out of two yeah. so stay tuned uh it's 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 not in the conference edition build but uh it's coming soon yeah should be getting it. and then regards to sort um i'm not even proposing that we add sort primitives but rather adding a uh, select or from function which mix together with um with the behind or before uh combinator then sorting becomes really simple it's three characters and it's not a train so you don't need to parenthesize it and it works both for sort and sort by so that, that should be fine you can already do this in bqn of course all right well once it's in the interpreter we'll we'll talk about it on a future episode um is that all the announcements we have i think so yeah. i just realized while Stephen was speaking um that uh, I have one announcement, and then I realize there's another thing I can announce. So the thing that I thought of while Stephen was speaking was that there is actually another, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, um, K, or actually not K, but Q announcement, in that they changed their free license policy. So it used to be, I think, that the license, if you downloaded the experimental license or free license, it was good for a month, but now it's good for a year, um, which is great, because now you don't have to... And actually, does it expire after a year, or maybe it's... Maybe it doesn't expire at all. I can't remember the details, but you can download it, and it's free for a lot longer, and you don't need to update things um, if you are running into that problem. And my last announcement is that um, there is a video. What was it called? It's called Stop Writing Dead Programs from the Strange Loop 2022 conference, which is a conference that covers a variety of programming languages. I think Clojure and Lisps are very popular there, but usually they have some esoteric topics. And this talk, which was just given a couple months ago, is now the fifth most viewed talk on that YouTube channel with close to 200,000 views, um, which is massively impressive because like the number three most viewed talk was by Joe Armstrong from like 2014. And at the beginning of this talk, the presenter, uh, Jack Rusher, basically goes from assembly to C to a couple other languages and boils down to what he thinks is like the highest abstraction, you know, the be most beautiful thing, and it's APL. So shall I go watch that code? Uh, APL gets a shout out. And uh, it doesn't say much else about APL, but the talk in general is just fantastic. Um, talks about a plethora of things and how we could be doing a lot better. Anyways, our guest has been patiently waiting because we've had so many introductions and announcements and skipping around. Our guest today, probably you know this by the title of this episode, podcast episode, is Michael Wallace, who goes by, I believe on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, maybe a couple other platforms as Tangent Storm. And super excited to talk to Michael today because uh, he works at 1010 Data currently, but has had a long and storied career and from looking at his LinkedIn profile, has coded in a plethora of languages, Python, Java, I could go on and on. And so it's going to be interesting to hear um, his story from going through all these different languages and ending up at, I believe it's K that they use at 1010 Data, and then J, which is what you typically promote. And I've seen some live streams where you've been building up you know, editors and lots of cool things. And I've also, I saw, uh, what was it, a, a YouTube video that was really, really great in showing the power and expressivity of J that was sort of building up a little... Uh, deck of cards sort of program, which we'll link that in the show notes. It's a, a great example, similar to sort of some of Bob's videos of highlighting what you can do with Jay. Um, anyways, I'll stop there, throw it over to Michael, and he can tell us the story, go back as far as you want to when you were born, when you started programming, and bring us to how you got to, um, you know, working at 1010 Data and sort of living in this array language world. 
Oh, wow. Well, um, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, so I've been programming for ages, as far as far back as I can remember. I think first or second grade, some lady uh, uh, came to our school and rolled in like the one computer in the city for the school district <laughs> to our to our class and showed us, hey, this is this is a thing called a computer and it has this thing called basic on it. And you can tell it what to do with this this language called basic. And I thought that was cool. I was hooked on it. I didn't I don't think I even touched the thing. I was just, you know, like I just thought it was neat. And so I, I uh, for years, anytime I happened to go in a library or book fair and there was something about programming, I would take that book or check it out or, you know, just try and read it the same way you might read about, you know, going to outer space or dinosaurs or something. I just thought it was a cool thing. So probably by the time I was in, I think even in middle school, I think I took like one little, little course and like a college for kids kind of thing during the summer where we got to spend a couple of weeks at the local community college. And I had, a, I have a floppy disk from it, but I don't know. I have no idea what happened in that class or what they taught me, but I must, <laughs> I must've been there. And um, I think by the time I was in middle school, like I, I knew, like the, I had the ideas in my head about like, you know, what programming was and kind of like general. And then uh, I think I, I was finally a eighth grader. So uh, I was a teacher's assistant and uh, my reading teacher had four computers, four Tandy 1000s in the back of her class and uh, no idea. I should probably never touch them or had any idea what to do with them. And uh, she, she gave me, she let me use it. So that, that's what I did for half of half a school year. It was just sit, sit in a room for, for uh, one, one period a day and, I had one one little floppy disk and a, a copy of the GW Basic manual. No no internet, nothing like that. Just just uh, just a keyboard and a, and a floppy disk in the manual. And I started making little screensavers and tried to make a you know what was some some primitive attempt at a game or something like that. And le learned how to use this thing. And eventually, my parents got me a computer. So I used I learned a lot of GW Basic. And you could sit there, you could turn on your computer, stick you know fire up type in GW basic at the DOS prompt and you would get the, didn't have an editor or anything. You just typed, if you wanted to edit line 10 of your, your program, you typed the number 10 space, print hello world, enter. You always, you always, because you couldn't delete lines, you always started with 10, right? Cause you might want to put a line in between. I, I moved on to turbo Pascal pretty quickly. I thought that was neat. That was my, my go-to language for many years. Just, just fooling around teaching myself. So, so I, I feel like that's how I learned how to program, like, not, not professionally or anything. I did eventually get a, a job as a, uh, in fact, by the time I graduated from, from high school, I had no plans to be a computer programmer. I didn't know that was a thing. I mean, like I said, I said, like credit to dinosaurs earlier, like, like I really thought that programming was something that like maybe two or three guys at NASA did or something. Like I just, I didn't realize how much a demand there was for this skill. And so I thought I was going to be some kind of writer. Eventually found out that, that, that this paid better, but, um, I did take a job in, as a as a QA guy. It was it was a it, my my dad's company. Like they hired the uh, children of the, the people that worked there um, every summer, and so I had an internship there. And they they put me on this QA team they were forming. They had hired some out an outside consulting company to build a, some software for them, and they were all embedded there. They, but so they hired or they they had they brought in one of their guys to be the the QA czar, and so he so I started in QA, and we did like a lot of like. Uh, was called visual test which was like a dialect of visual basic we just write tests about about this uh uh you know about this program like you know it was an insurance uh, insurance and um uh they sell like they do family planning for military families and so we we, we i made up this little family and they were they were uh fred and wanda tempe I, I used them for like ever since then i've used them as my test people for you know years and years now 
but uh, they, they have a, a little family and they, they did all these, they bought all this insurance and you put them through the, the ringer. And that was, that was, I did what I did all summer. Put them through and, the uh, ringer. <laughs> put, 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 put the, put the software through the ringer. <laughs> Poor Fred and Wanda. <laughs> Just for years, they've been getting uh <laughs> They have a website. If you go to tempetantrum.com, you can see the, you can see Fred, Fred Tempe, Fred and Wanda. That was the first time I had like a professional programmer, like, you know, critiquing my work and telling me, you know, Hey, you could do this better. And some guy, but, but again, I, I still thought I was, I was going to be like a, a novelist. Uh, so I took, after high school, I took some time off and tried to write a book. Uh, I wrote a very short book. It was, it was an okay first attempt for a kid. And I tried to write another one and it just, basically I spent the year after high school, just, just kind of being depressed because all my friends were off at school and I was all about my home trying to write stuff, trying to write this book. And somebody, uh, a friend of mine, I met online invited me and said, Hey, maybe, you know, you should do some teaching. And so I got involved teaching little kids to read and, or first, first just helping after school with, uh, you know, homework and, and, and that kind of thing. And uh, eventually started working professionally as, uh, uh, through, um, AmeriCorps, a thing Bill Clinton set up kind of like a domestic version of the peace Corps that they give you money for college, and, um, a little stipend every month. And so that, that was my, that was my career path for a while then was to, to teach uh, children. You know, I, I wasn't at any time really trying to be a, a computer programmer. I, I, in college, I was, a, um, I was an art and performance major, again, thinking I'd do some kind of writing stuff. Uh, I, I did have, a, I had a minor in uh, called cognitive science. So it was like half, it was their closest thing to, it was University of Texas at Dallas, the closest thing they had to um, AI degrees. So they had uh, psychology and computer science. So I took, I, did, I took a C++ class and assembly class and I, I didn't, really, didn't really find my calling. And eventually I wound up dropping out and uh, moved across country for a girl and uh, just was looking for something to do. I wound up working just in a, in a plastic surgery center. They were uh, kind of disorganized in some ways. Like they had the software for, for, um, for, for uh, what do you call it, receivables. Like, so you, you, people have come in and they've gotten their surgery and you're trying to build their insurance company, but maybe some of it's elective. And so you're... You're billing the person directly. And so and they had to call like all these people. And it turned out in the software they were using, there were like six screens that they had to go to to uh, to look at, uh, just gather the information to call one person. Uh, and so I said, that's, that's kind of dumb. And let me, let me take a look. And I dug in and they were actually just, the software was just some, an access database under the hood. And I, so I wrote them a little report that you could print out and it would have everything they needed for each person and all the people they needed to call in one little report. And I gave it to them and they looked at it and said, oh, okay, whatever. Thanks. And then the next day they're like, you're my hero. You know? <laughs> so uh, eventually um, I called the company that made that software and like they were a local company in, in Atlanta. I, uh, I said, uh, you know, Hey, I'm fixing your software and come hire me. And so they did. And they, they, they hired me and I went to work for that company for a while. And I, I kind of split it between um, teaching teaching people how to use their software. Sometimes I would sit down and uh, with like uh, at somebody's medical practice and I'd sit down with the, you know, the, the lady they'd hired outside and said, you know, this is a mouse. Let's play some solitaire so you can learn how to use this mouse. And then we flew all around the country doing that kind of stuff, teaching just all kinds of different people. And eventually I left that and started working at a consulting company and we did uh, just we, more Microsoft access stuff. And then all of a sudden this web, this thing called the web started popping up and we, we we kind of sat the boss down one day and said, Hey, look, we need to stop with this access stuff and start doing, you know, internet. And then, uh, we, we made all kinds of stuff for all kinds of fortune 500 companies and 
eventually I decided I wanted to start my own company and, uh, uh, actually I had been teaching a friend of mine to program and we decided to start a company and, uh, he, he said, well, let's make something for a company. And so we made a little shopping cart system in PHP. And that turned into uh, an attempt to build a software company. Um, it was just me and him. And we didn't, uh, we, we don't know the first thing about actually like running the business. So let's, let's do something simple. Uh, and let's just get a server and, and put it out there and start charging people for web hosting, right? Just, just to learn the process of like, how do you take a credit card? How do you do this? And so we did that. I did that. Within a few years, that was my that was my source of income. I was running a web hosting company, and he went on to do something else. And we never built a software company, but I I made a web hosting company, and I did that for like ten years. Every once in a while, I take a a, a little side job, but I, but I mostly just and I say ran a company. It was like me, right? I was I was a support person that had a couple hundred customers. Um, I built a control panel and a billing system and all this stuff in, in Python, and I built a um, at the time, there weren't, you know, today you, you go download Flask and Jinja or templates or something like that, and, uh, or Django if you want, and, but none of that existed. And uh, so I had to roll my own web framework. But in any case, uh, I ran that company for many years. I did a lot. I had gave me a lot of time to um, just learn about other languages. That was, you know, I had a lot of, of freedom and flexibility. You know, I, I, was, I was tied to my, my laptop to answer support emails, but I, I had the time to you know, work on whatever I wanted in my, in my, in my business. And a lot of time that meant like automating whatever I want. So I, I was a lot, spent a lot of time just making stuff in Python for that business. And a lot of time, like looking at other languages and like trying out Smalltalk and, and Haskell and just, you know, learning, kind of finishing my education by, by being self-taught. That's things that I, I didn't learn in, you know, about computer science, like how to write parsers and how to write, um, you know, virtual machines and things like that. Um, kind of, kind of, Filled in the gaps on my own, and then at some point that that you know the most of my clients were bloggers, and when the 2008 financial crisis hit, a lot of people were strapped for cash, and they were like, oh, I don't need to pay five bucks a month, ten bucks a month for a blog anymore, and uh, so I started losing business very rapidly. Started focusing more on like client work, and but but I was spending so much time outside of the, the company that it just like my tech support got even worse and worse and worse. So finally, I just had to you know stop that and needed a job and. Actually, you know, I was trying to save the company for a while. And so like to cut costs, I like moved back in with my parents for a while. And, but, uh, you know, uh, I was living with my brother for a while and I was like, you know, I can't, I can't mooch on my, my family forever. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta work. And so, um, I decided to go back to work. I worked at a, I worked at a publishing company that made yearbooks. We were doing like angular and like an actual modern Python backend. I wasn't, I wasn't terribly happy. I was actually an hour long commute every morning and they had uh, meetings at seven o'clock in the morning. My boss was an early bird, so I was not not too thrilled with that uh, that situation. Uh, and so I uh, I started looking for another job. And by this time, I I had learned J, and and I had um, I, I had spent a lot of time like on the internet, especially when I when I wasn't working. Um, I I spent a lot of time on the internet, hanging out in a channel that called uh, Learn Programming on on an IRC channel. And we had um, little uh, bots in there. So one day I went to like the Haskell channel, say, hey, can we get the Haskell bot in here? So you could you could you could type Haskell expressions, and uh, we got like we collected a Perl bot in a, in a we had just like a bunch of. Finally, I went into this J software channel, and, and I said, "Can we get this J bot?" And so I said, "Sure," and or they said, "Sure," and we we had a we had the J bot in our uh, in our channel. So I, I learned J channel like just using it as a calculator for a long time in that in that channel, and we just had it there. And every once in a while, I'd say, "Oh, you can make this little pattern," and, we, and it was nice to have it as like a demonstration tool for. Um, 
if somebody had a question about an algorithm, you could you could often like type it into the to the the J prompt and it would print out, you know, some, you know, you could very easily generate like a little bitmap of of you know characters on the screen and like show something uh, step by step. And I would show just show it off. And so uh, that's kind of how I learned J was just as a kind of a parlor trick for this, this IRC channel for a little while. And then um one day I thought, you know, it had been so long since I had been a beginner. I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and do something that's just really outside my comfort zone. And I said, I'm going to learn this J language. I'm going to learn to like actually make programs in J. And, and so I, I read the J for C programmers and the, the, the primer and all these things. And I worked through them and I don't know, I came out of there with a, with a new language. So that, and I made a video about it, uh, about one thing I thought was cool, which was, uh, the Ulam spiral. So Ulam was a, was a math was a mathematician and one day he was doodling and he had this piece of, I guess, graph paper and he drew the number one and he started counting, but he, he, write, he wrote the numbers in a spiral. Um, and, uh, and then he marked out the primes and the primes made some little pattern. He was like, oh, that's neat. And uh, so that's called Ulam spiral. Um, and uh, so we were, somehow that came up in the, in the channel. I was like, oh, I wonder how I could do this. And uh, it turned out to be like, you know, I found a, a way that I thought was kind of clever to do it in J in like one line of code. And so, I made a video about that one line of code and uh, that's you now like this, that was the start of my channel and it became uh, ridiculously, or it's, it's, it's certainly the most popular video I've ever, I've ever uploaded even, even today. While I was job searching, I was, I was, I was looking for a J job. There are no such things. I think uh, Eric Iverson, when he was on here said, uh, people don't, don't admit to using J and they don't, they don't even tell their boss they're using J when they, when they use J. So there aren't, there aren't any of those, but there are a lot of K jobs and uh, I think I even tweeted it at, at KX, like, you know, why, why is everybody in New York? Are there any remote jobs? Anyway, uh, I was looking for a job and I, I, I thought it would be neat to work in an array language. So I had that on my radar. I'd actually like almost applied to 1010, but like something, I don't know, like some link didn't work on the website or whatever. And I just said, ah, I'll just move on. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really looking to move to New York anyway, but uh, our, our chief scientist posted to the subreddit one day and he said, uh, not really a job advertisement, but, and then he said, we're always looking for people who are uh, interested in, uh, in K. And so I, I wound up talking to him on Reddit for a little bit. And, and one thing turned to another and, uh, I wound up coming out here to, uh, to New York to interview. And I actually met Joel and, and Stephen after, uh, Joel Kaplan and Stephen after both of whom have been on this, uh, podcast and they both interviewed me that day and, um, they didn't kick me out. So I, they gave me an offer and I came to New York and that's where I've been ever since. I, I think I'm done rambling. So. <laughs> I was going to say, that's pretty interesting because it sounds like, I'm not sure if I'm going to enumerate every single one, but from QW basic to ASP to Python to PHP, there's a few others you mentioned. And then you were just happened to be on an IRC and didn't maybe, I'm not sure if you're the only outlier that we've interviewed but many of our guests that we've interviewed were like immediately taken by the language and they, you know, it was love at first sight for, for one reason or another, the notation, the brevity, et cetera. And it sounds like you were exposed to it because someone asked for a JBot and you implemented that and then you used it for a while, but only ended up sort of, or and maybe I'm sort of inferring this and it might not even be true that you have a, a deep passion for the language. It's more... You were fascinated with it, and you find it cool to make YouTube videos. Uh, maybe you're not. Maybe you're dissimilar, and it's it's a, a language that or a paradigm you use uh, because Ten Ten Data uses it now. But it it's interesting that uh, you sort of ended up 
becoming proficient in it or going and learning it as like a challenge to yourself, not because, not because you were, you know, in love with the digraphs or, or, or something to it about the language spoke to you. Like, is, is there something behind that or am I, or is anything you want to like add to contextualize that sort of difference? So, uh, when, when I was running the, the web hosting company, I had a lot of time to just, you know, follow my, my interests. It, 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 I talked to a lawyer once, like, is it possible to get investments in this company? She said, no, this is a lifestyle business, right? This is not a, this, you know, this is, it, and it was true. Like, this was me. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Had I been a better business person, I would have weathered the storm and, and you know, thrown the company, right? But um, no, it, it was just, it was a little boutique thing. And uh, so I had a lot of time to just, you know, maybe part of this is, you know, because I was spending a lot of time just like following my interests rather than working on the business. But I just, you know, we, we would dabble in lots of different languages. I, and I always, you know, I, 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 every time I would start a new project, it was like, I, I always had the, you know, the choice of like, do I try this new language and actually make something in it or, and, and, you know, have to fight through the learning curve and, you know, learn yet another way to, you know, do the same thing I've learned how to do a hundred times before in, in, in other languages. Or do I just, you know, stick with Python and actually make it? So you, you, usually what it turned out to be was I would just, um, you know, I'd play with Smalltalk for a couple of days and, and think, oh, learn what was cool about it. I'd play with uh, Pascal, same thing. And uh, in fact, I have a GitHub repository called Tangent Labs. And there's like a directory of just like, I don't know, maybe 75 different languages. And just there's just like little snippets of different things I've done in all those languages. Most of them are you know, trivial, right? They're just like going through tutorials. And stuff. But I did a lot of that. and. Um, uh, there was also a um, uh, one of the big programming communities that that I was involved with at the time was the was the c2.com wiki. So the, they were the people that actually uh, Ward Cunningham's wiki that they they had actually created. He's the guy that created the term wiki and, and invented the concept of a wiki. It was about whatever people wanted to write about, but like um, they had attracted quite quite a few programmers and especially people from the small talk community. Um, but they also would have pages like. You know, there's there was a page called J Language, and you know they had little snippets posted, and you know, in a way like you look at this in awe, and like you know, so it wasn't like I had never heard of the language before, but like I was aware that J was a thing. And there, there's a paper that I, I talk about or I think about a lot um, that uh, Paul Graham wrote called the Python Paradox. You, basically, he was making the argument that that if you use Python, which is this obscure language that nobody uses at the time, uh, then you're going to attract you, you, you're going to think that you won't be able to find anybody that uses this obscure language. But in fact, the people that use it are going to be people who are really interested in, in languages and really excited about programming um, and vice versa. You know, if you find a Python job, then, you know, maybe that's a cool place to work. And so for, for that reason, I, I was very, you know, when I see that a company like 1010 Data uses K, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, I didn't know K at the time. I knew it was something similar in, in the ballpark of J. Um, and I showed, I, I, I sent them the video that as part of my like introduction that, that I had made about the Ulu spiral, they don't expect a higher rate K programmer for that same reason. They, but they're, they're saying, well, you know, you, you can learn. And so if you have an interest in stuff, you'll learn. And so I think, um, I know I'm rambling. The, the actual question was, you know, whether I thought Jay was, it was just a challenge to myself. I think the answer is that I just, I like different languages and I, I like the, to try and puzzle out what it means to express an idea in a particular language. And if you throw different languages at me, I, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm in love with, with a particular language, but I do, I do like J. J, J is definitely one of my, one of my favorite languages. Um, and was it instant? Um, no, I thought it was, 
It was not love at first sight. It was just, this is interesting at first sight. So if I've got this right, Michael, you didn't know Kay when you you were interviewed by, by Joel and Stephen for 1010 Data. Correct. I think I think I had downloaded I downloaded uh, uh, Kona and I downloaded uh, um, well, I think I downloaded Kona and then, and then um, Adam the guy that hired me said uh, no you want you want download one from KX it's a little closer to what we use and and I, so I played with it a little and I tried to like make like one or two lines of K but yeah I I, did, I was not a K programmer until. But but I, I I knew Jay and that was my that was my credentials. So I, I think Stephen Taylor's talked about this is a lot of learning of K goes on within the shop. Is that is that sort of your experience when you picked it up? Were you working closely with other people to pick it up? Uh, that was not my experience because like I, I actually like because I was moving across the country to 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 get to New York, I actually took some time and like learn uh, learn K. So I, I didn't know it when I when I was interviewing, but by the time I got there, I like I knew enough. And then we also at at, at ten ten we we um. Uh, so, so we we have it's, it's a database product and and it has a query language that is kind of an XML language. For, for the first few years that I was there, we had an intern program, uh, and we hired a bunch of people. We um, we went to John Ernest and I went out the, the, to uh, the Stony Brook and we we gave some a, a college uh, around here, university around here, and we we would go talk to the people and we told them about you know K and and and, and just as a recruiting tool like, and a lot of other people like that, like that was me doing one thing, but. Other people did like you know massive amounts of effort to recruit people, um, and we we found like the best and brightest interns we could find. And uh, every year we did like a, a course in, in K. So we had like the first week was just lots of different people from the company would give presentations about K and give them homework, and never had a problem with it. We never had a problem like with people not learning K. We uh, or or with not people liked it. I mean, it's a, it's a nice language. After that week of training, they were productive enough to build things that went into our system. So, you know, over the course of the summer. Um, and, and so I, you know, I think it, it, it's, it's not an obstacle to, to, to hire, to find K developers or to find people that are willing to be K developers and, and try it out. I think some of our best hires have been people who, who like, like the Python paradox, you know, were, were people who are already interested in, in K. Like, like I mentioned John Ernest. So he started about, he actually, um, uh, uh, Joel Kaplan also mentioned him. Uh, he said you should talk to him, and I, I think you should too. Uh, but he, uh, he, he and I started right around the same time. Both, both responded to that that ad, and he had actually he he's written um, a JavaScript interpreter for for K called OK.js. So like he was like ultra into K at the time, and he, and, and also one of the best programmers I ever met. So a lot of the, the, the our our best hires have been people who are just really interested in K for whatever reason. So I, I think just that that enthusiasm. If, if someone came to if it, one of the guys I hired, um, I, I was talking to him on the phone one day uh, when, when we were interviewing, and he said he had asked me about something, and I, I mentioned uh, so somehow the topic of that IRC channel came up, and he's like, "Oh, I've talked to you. I I, I know who, I know who Tangent is on on IRC, and, and you you helped me with some question, and and just because of that, like we I, I was yeah, I, I consider that a very good sign that, that he was you know somebody who was interested enough in 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 languages to to you know to to seek us out because of K, you know? So I, I, I've had that argument with, with, uh, with people, with managers that have been hired since, you know, since we, you know, we, got, we got acquired, Joel, Joel retired and the culture has changed a little bit. And uh, I, I remember talking to a new manager who's like, we, we can't hire K developers, it's not possible. And I said, you haven't tried because if you try, you will find that you can find some amazing developers that either know this and are enthusiastic about it or, or, or see it and, and want to learn more. 
but I posted on LinkedIn one time when I was hiring. This is not a job that's available now, but um, I posted a job advertisement to my LinkedIn group, and um, it was uh, it was called "Want to Work with K at 1010 Data." And, and there's a at the very top there's a a little screenshot of uh, the Mandelbrot set uh, rendered in like ASCII, and uh, then next to it is the K code that I used to generate that. And, I don't know. Somebody told me that was the best <laughs> job. Somebody at the bottom said something like it was the best uh, job advertisement they'd ever seen. But we, and we actually wound up not hiring anybody for this role. But uh, but but I, we we got interested in it. Like it, it's not hard to find people who have an interest in 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 interesting languages. Do you find that uh, people who might have a more traditional background, like you were talking about, you came from Python. Is that an obstacle to learning one of the array languages, or do you find that it, you really just look for interest in the array language first? I, I, to be clear, I don't think interest in the array language is a requirement. People who are different recruiters do different things. The, the guy that the, the guy that ran our intern program, he's he's no longer with the company, but he would the, the candidates that he brought were somehow way better than the people that we would often many of the people that we would often get through the traditional, uh, you know recruiting tools that had been in the industry for many years and had all this stuff on the resume and looked great on paper. But I, you know, it's always hard to judge talent in, in, in a, in a, in a 30 minute interview or an hour interview, you know, so you, you give them a, a, we do the leak coding thing or we give them some, some kind of puzzle um, and, and try and grill them and, and see how they do. But, you know, for, for me, it's all about like, you know, do they have the ability to take an idea? And it's not, it's not, it's not even like, yeah, I guess there's two parts of it, right? You, you got the, the problem solving part, figuring out what to do when you're, when you're solving an interview question or whatever. And then the, can you take that idea and express it to a computer? Like, uh, so like the, the last uh, video I did that, that Connor mentioned earlier about dealing cards, um, there's a part in it where I talk about an interview question I, I, I give, which is just, just, Give me every permutation of an array, right? And uh, of, of like the numbers one through X, right? So if you if you say, give me all the permutations of one through three, first, yeah, you say, do you know what a permutation is? Let's make sure you know the right words. Then, okay, now now let's, now, now, now do it. Do it by hand. Show me that you understand this concept. And, and let's say, okay, so they write out one, two, three, one, two, or one, three, two, and you know, all that. And so, okay, yeah, we, we agree that those are the permutations of this. There are six of them. Now, how do you get a computer to do that? And what I found is that some people who have been programming forever, just like, no matter how many hints you give them, they just never get there. They cannot write this program. And, and other people, the people that I always test interviews, like I went to John Ernest and I went to like some, some of the brighter people that I saw in the company and that, that, that like were um, like junior developers that I thought were, were good. And I said, can you do this? And, and they, they passed the test. So I said, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And uh, some people just sit there and they just, they don't know what recursion is. They don't know what, you know, I don't know. And some people struggle for a bit and then they figure it out. And usually, you know, it, it's not something you just know how to do. You shouldn't memorize this stuff, but if, if you can figure it out in 10, 15 minutes, or I know that you're, you're getting there, then that's the person I want to hire. I don't, I don't care what your, your resume says. And I don't even care if you can figure it out. I'm saying if, if, if we can talk through the solution, because you know, you're not solving puzzles most of the time. Sometimes you are, but mostly it's like, okay, we're agreeing on doing something. Can you take what we've agreed to do and actually express it in code? And if you can do that, then, then, then I don't think it matters what language you give the person or whatever. It's just, if they can express it to a computer and get the computer to understand it, they can learn any language. That's my philosophy. Do you, do you find K is a language that once they, once you have somebody who thinks that way, who solves problems, works their way through problems, who can work with somebody else to work their way through problems. Do you find that K is a language that makes that easier? 
I think it certainly gives you the tools to, to, to do that. Um, well, it's kind of like, you know, like, like J even more so. You have so many more primitives. K, K is a much smaller subset. K is like a, a tradition, to me, is like a very, just, just a traditional scripting language with, uh, with, with a lot of little shortcuts and, and, and nice syntax for doing like common things. It's compressed. K, K is like a compressed traditional language in my point. Or at least you can treat it that way. And, and I think a lot of people, I, I guess what I'm saying is like K, K definitely feels to me like, a, like, like you can use it as a traditional language. You, 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 if, you, if you are used to Python or JavaScript or, or anything like that, you can write code that is similar to what you're used to, right? I don't think that's the case in J, but it is, it, it, but, but K feels like a traditional language, just a little more compressed. And then if you want to, as you get used to it, you can, you can start seeing, oh, I can do this even, even faster. And, 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 you know, I can use this little trick and I can pick up the idioms and I can start, um, start, start, start using some of the array, um, concepts, I guess, the, the vector concepts to, to do that. And, and, and we have wildly different, differing, um, styles of, of code in, in, in our, in our code base. You know, it, we, we tend to have like one or two people owning a particular thing. And if you look at different parts of the code, they look different. Um, it's, it's a web platform, right? So there's, there's a whole database component. And then, you know, that's, that's a massive thing. That's all about distributed computation. We've got a thing about like managing the users and, and all the things that you've uploaded and all your, where your data is and what's it called and who has permission to it and all that stuff. And that's a different thing. Um, and then like the stuff I work on is all like, you know, I, I, I work on the, like, um, the, the user interface stuff. So like we have this on, on top of our language, we have this ability to, to build components and, and to draw them on the screen and, 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 and compose you can like, it's, a, it's like a rad tool. You can compose little, little, um, little widgets and you can say, I want to drop down here and, and it's bound to the database. So you can say, I want, I want to drop down that has everything from this query or I have a bar chart or so whatever it is, it's all based on queries against your data. Um, I, I work on that, that system that helps you build applications on top of, on, on top of our link, uh, of our, of our system. Um, and so, uh, externally, that's like, you're doing this XML code, but what I, what I do is I provide chunks of little JavaScript and, and K that, that talk to the system. And, and it's, you know, it's a lot of string manipulation and building up things. And, you know, it, 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 it's not cryptic In fact, it, on, on that, that job listing, I, I show the, the really, uh, cryptic, what, what, I, what, what I would consider cryptic if I were looking at it from uh, as a newbie, uh, code for the Mandelbrot set, but then you scroll down, it's like, well. It says something about like, uh, don't, don't worry. Not all of our code looks like this because it, we, we don't have 1500, uh, Arthur Whitney's that are, <laughs> or even a hundred Arthur Whitney's. We, we have, you know, you look at Stephen Apter's code and it's, it's, it's very clear and mathematical and it's one line at a time, but, but like he, he's an outlier. Most of our code does not look, and I'm not saying like, like I, I consider Stephen's code extremely well, well crafted. Um, but, but he's, he's doing like specific, like he's writing a parser and he's writing that one thing and it's. You know, it's a module that fits into the system, but other parts of the system are just uh, much, much closer to traditional work because that's the nature of what's being done. We're sticking strings together and making HTML things, and we're you know reading a form and we're dealing with dictionaries. So, Michael, you've done a lot here to demystify K, to show that it's not a cult. You don't to be, you don't need to belong to a race of semi. We do pray to Arthur every every Thursday. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to say you don't need to belong to a race of semi-divine beings in order to use it. You could it's enough to be curious with a K and to get in and um learn how to write good application code in K. Um so the 
question that leads me to is, would you go back? Would you, can you imagine leaving, doing development in K to go work in, oh, I don't know, Java, C++? Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I'm married to it. Like, you know, e even now, I, I'm not like a pure K developer. So, so I'd say, I'd say I do about 25% K. Yeah, I probably, it's probably evenly distributed at this point. Uh, Cause I, 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 in addition to the GUI, I also work on the, the, um, our, our API. So that, that same technology for building applications, you can use to build like dynamic endpoints that like feed your query as a certain kind of job, JSON object. So, um, to write clients for the API, I, I do a lot of work in Python. Um, to like provide uh, demos for people. And we also, I, I do a lot of testing, um, like uh, I write test, test code in Python. So about 25% Python, which, which is new, that used to, used to be very rare, but I started doing a lot of Python. Um, and then I'm writing a lot of HTML and JavaScript for the, the, the UI components. Uh, and then I, I, I spend a lot of time writing uh, code in our, in our macro language. So, so it, it doesn't have a name, we just call it 1010 macro language, but it's, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, so, so you, when you query our system, you can, you can write uh, SQL, but you can also, I mean, maybe I should back up. When, when our, our system was designed so that you would upload data and you, you would have a web interface, you'd see your table and you would, you would pick from a menu. I want to, I want to sort this table. I want to select this table. I, you know, I, I want to tabulate on, on this column and you give me a summary or whatever I want to do. And you did it all through the GUI. So there was, there was no language, there was no typing, there was no query language. It was just, just select things and now save this, this collection of stuff. And so somewhere along the line, we created a, um, a notation for an, an XML notation for, for just storing all the, you know, the, the work that we did. It had previously just been stored as like K objects. So, so that your, your query was just a, a K object that was a list of steps you did to, to, to make this thing happen. And then the, 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 what we call macro code grew out of that. And so now we have, it eventually became like the, 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 like internal, like, like the, the actual representation is now this, this XML thing. So, but, but it's a series of steps and they're all very, in a way, very similar to the, the K primitives. Um, I think, I think Joel said in his interview, if he didn't say it there, he, he said it to me numerous times that he, he couldn't have built this company without K, right? Like it was, you know, the K primitives map very closely to operations you do on a database select and transpose and, 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 and things you would want to do to columns. And, and you know, even, you know, the, the grade operators, why there's no sort in K, there's, there's a, there's a grade operation in K. So you, you, you have a, a column that says, you know, you, you, you get to grade of that column and what that gives you is, is the, the indices that tell you what order. Um, I, I know Marshall can, can give me the actual definition because I, I get, I stumble over it, but, but you know, it, it tells you what, it gives you an array that tells you what order this, this, it tells you the order these things should be in, what order to put these things in. And then you can apply that to all the columns. Yeah, yeah. how you would reorder them in order to sort them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so like, like that's the thing that you can apply to one, you, you, you inspect one column and now you can apply it to all your columns, all the, all the vectors. Um, so so we, you know, as, a, as a user of the system, you don't see that, that internal vector, but, but there's one operation called you know, sort or whatever, and then you tell you what, what you want it to sort by. Um, and so un unlike, or, or in addition to the, the normal SQL operations that you can do, so we have a SQL operation, uh, a SQL parser that, that parses SQL and turns it into these operations, but you can also just write them directly. Um, and, and so then, then you can tell it step-by-step step what you want it to do in your own, in your own macro codes, things that would be, you would have done by following along in the, in the system. Uh, and then on top of that, we started saying, well, okay, now let's add if then and loops and conditionals and things like that. So, so you can generate this macro code using an extra, there's like a, another subset of languages called 
we, we call it block code, which is the, these blocks of things that give you, they give you procedures for generating procedures and, and conditionals and, and loops uh, and variables for, for generating the, the, the query that you eventually want to query. And then on top of that, we added this, this user interface stuff. So, um, so, so there's a tag called widget now or dynamic. And then inside of that, you have widgets. And so you lay out a user interface that can then call all these um, dynamic, can dynamically generate queries for you. Or I don't think any of our customers have ever, ever done this, but if they wanted to, they could uh, write uh, logic in K3 or they could write logic in uh, uh, Python. Now that's something we're, we're, we're adding to the, we've, we've just started adding to this Python and R. But, but I do a lot of work in macro. And I, I would say it's unfortunate that I can't like, you know, it's a proprietary system, but I would say, and, and, you know, I would say macro code is, 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 is one of the, the nicer languages that I've ever used in my life because it does all that data binding for you. And so you can whip up a user interface and just, we call them quick apps. You can just like a couple lines of code. And now you have an application that queries and, and gives you in, in, interaction on your data. And so, and yeah, I would say the combination of macro code and, 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 and K, and then I, I still like Python and, and, and I like web stuff. So I like doing all those things. And I like the variety of it. I mean, if somebody doubled my salary, sure, I could <laughs> go do COBOL. If you want. I don't. I don't know if to answer your question about the, if I would go back. Um, no, that answers it. You have to be paid a lot to to leave it. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I'm very happy where I'm at. But but we've also learned that you can you can learn K and work with it work with it for years, and you don't wind up in the forest baying at the full moon. You know, the, the, one of the very first questions I asked because I I had seen K, I, I asked Adam like. Uh, I, I, I'm our, our chief scientist. I asked him, are, are you guys functional? Like, like, can you, can, can you read each other's code? I mean, can you really do this at, at scale? And uh, part, part of the answer to that is that, you know, I, I think Eric Iverson said, said this too, was that like a, 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 a J team is like one person. A K team is usually one person. You, you can, you can manage a pretty big chunk of the system with just, with, with just one person because you have so so little code to do, and so um, part of it is is ownership. But but you know I've looked at many many other K developers' code, and it's just it's not it's not intimidating. Um, there's, occasionally, there are people who who use the primitives differently than I do. Um, I actually I'd say like you know again we have d different styles. Like uh, you know Stephen Apter like knows how to use every single primitive, and like you know his his code is sometimes intimidating to look at but then when you you, you look at it, it's like oh this makes perfect sense I, I would be more than happy to to maintain some of this code going on for the most part like we, we don't find ourselves like you know going in and like uh dealing with i'm not gonna say there's no bad code like it's not that there's for, for the most part like it, it's not a, a pain to like pick up someone else's cake i i think the, the troubles the troubles that we had and is that that like sometimes when you've got a piece of the system that has been handed from person to person to person to person, you you get like, and, and this happens anywhere, like any anything, you, you get like code that is way too long, like you know a function that has grown to thirty six pages when you print it out. This is not a, a, a this is not fiction. In K code, that can't be possible. Yeah, and I mean it's this complicated system. It, it, and this is this is not this is not this is this is I, I would think not specific to any particular language. This is a function of organizations writing code, right? you get to a point where once a, a piece of code gets bigger than like a screen full, you know, you can't, you know, people use their, their screen as like working memory. Like your visual field is part of your working memory. You can't keep it all in your head. And so the more that you can keep on the screen, the more working memory you have. And so as soon as it scrolls off the screen, that's, that's, that's more that has to go back in your head to keep track of everything. Um, unless you have tools to like compress it and, you know, give you whatever. So, or, or, you know, there's some logic to it that you can understand, like this is part is isolated. 
but like, I'm always scared that like, um, can I even introduce a variable that might've been, you know, declared you know, way up here somewhere? Uh, I, I don't know. Cause I can't see it all on the screen. I think Joel said, said, said this was that, that, uh, one of the benefit, I know Arthur, the reason Arthur doesn't put any white space in is because he wants to see everything. And, um, that is a, a tremendous benefit of, of these, of these languages. And that runs into a conflict with the, the, the natural tendency of an organization to sometimes when you're handing things back and forth to sometimes just, yeah, technical debt. Like you always have technical debt. And something, this is one particular thing where I think uh, it, can, it can get out of hand. Um, and, and you, you lose that benefit of, of K when you let, when you let that happen. Of course, the answer is to factor things into smaller pieces. And I'm not blaming anyone. Like I, my own code has done this. Like if, if I have a particular thing, sometimes the logic, there's more, more uh, clauses in the, in the if else or whatever, and you, you just, you got to stop and re refactor sometimes. Sometimes that doesn't get done. So I picked up Racket recently, uh, and specifically to write a, a K3 parser and to, to try and make a refactoring tool for, for that problem. And it's only like in one or two places in the code, but like rather, than, rather than do it by hand, I just wanted to make a tool. Uh, so didn't get very far. I, got, I made a parser and an editor, and it highlights the code, and then it parses our code base. But I, I didn't get to the refactoring part yet. Maybe in the future. Uh... I would be remiss if uh, before we ended this conversation, I didn't uh, ask um, a little bit more about, um, we mentioned it at the beginning and a couple times throughout uh, your YouTube channel, but also I don't think we've mentioned since the beginning uh, that you stream sort of live coding sessions on Twitch. So um, on top of sort of plugging those and maybe giving a pitch for if people are interested, what they can expect both out of your YouTube channel and your Twitch stream. Um, yeah, feel free to comment on that. And then also if you want to plug other stuff, your your Twitters or if you're other places, because it sounds like, you know, a part of your career story has been uh, taking the role of a teacher and just sort of as part of your jobs, but also just as, you know, you spend time on, on different forums answering questions. So yeah, um, where can people find you and what can they expect on your, your different sort of platforms? Um. Yeah, I'm 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 on Twitter for now at least. <laughs> as long as it's still in business, I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, as Tangent Storm, I'm you know GitHub uh, has a bunch of stuff. On, uh, you can find me on 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 on. Uh, yeah, I haven't streamed on, on YouTube and Twitch as Tangent Storm, and also on on YouTube I started a second channel uh, called Tangent Stream, where I'm putting some. Uh, so. Uh, I had a, a, a daughter 15, or my, my second daughter was born 15 months ago. So she's, so uh, about that time I was streaming every day because I was getting up ridiculously early in the morning, hence the ridiculously early day morning show. And uh, uh, just watching her for a while. I, I'd, been, I'd, been, I'd been taking the night shift previously and then we got to the point where she was sleeping in the morning. And so I had, for about a month, I was, I was streaming every single day or every weekday, um, just working on a, a tool for, it was called JPRES, the, the tool for th that I'm using to record interactions with the, the JREPL, uh, you know, record and play it back in the video. So I, I didn't want to, I, I hate typing live in a video while I'm trying to talk because I, you know, I make so many typos and it's just, it's just a waste of people's time that I'd, I'd much rather have it go smoothly in the video and have, uh, you know, be able to synchronize, you know, the, 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 the cadence of each little keystroke and stuff. Um, yeah, Cause you can, you, know, you can pause in the middle of it while you're doing it. so. So I um so so I I filmed I think 23 episodes or I published 23 episodes of 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 me working on this program, a fairly large J program, and just you know talking about what I'm doing and explaining things as I go along. Uh, so that's uh, that's probably the bulk of my videos. But um, I also try to do 
uh, like, like presentations that I've scripted and edited and like you know polished a little bit. And in fact, the probably the biggest headache I had when I was, was streaming was like, I, I hate just uploading a live stream every day and not being able to edit it. The editing just became crazy. So I, I decided to split the channels. And I, I haven't I haven't done a lot of live streaming because I was in a tiny house with a baby that stopped sleeping at, at seven o'clock in the morning and she was <laughs> you know, screaming. We, we, we were in a tiny two bedroom apartment and we finally moved out to a house and thought I was going to have some time to, to start doing streaming again. And then we've had, it was a fixer upper. So we have contractors here all the time, but some, sometime in the near future, you know, when things settle down a little bit, I, I hope to, to get back to streaming. Um, uh, that's, I don't know, it probably won't be early in the morning, but at some, some point in the day, I, I plan to do some regular streaming. I got to find a project to work on, and then periodically, I I, I, have, I have a bunch of talks planned for, for uh, you know, you know, I made this tool to make videos, and and, and I I I made the the dealing cards in J video, uh, which is all about permutations, and I made a a, a little short video about some, a YouTube short about some idiom that I saw on the the J wiki that I didn't recognize, and it turned out that it was a it's now a primitive, and why I never I couldn't I didn't recognize. But um, but I made those tool. I made those videos with this tool that I made, and so like, I, I, there's more stuff I want to do, and, and you know, keep working on it. So um, I guess that's it. And, yeah, come watch me on YouTube if you if you feel like listening to me ramble. And <laughs> but I don't understand the thing. If you had a, a baby that was screaming early in the morning, how did you stream and not have background noise? Oh no, I mean, I mean, she was uh, sorry. I meant sleeping in the, early in the morning. Oh, so she was, she, she was, she so was scream all night it, and then you're up and then you might as well record. Okay. Yeah. She, she, she was, she was taking her nap right around that time in the morning and I had gotten used to getting up that early in the morning anyway. So, uh, so, so I started taking the morning shift while everyone else in the house was asleep. And then, uh, but, but then towards the end of it, like she started waking up earlier and earlier and just, yeah, there, there, I just, I couldn't find a quiet time to, record anything she found out you were doing jay and she just she couldn't sleep she couldn't nap too exciting you know yeah <laughs> all right well we will we'll put uh links to all of all of those um sort of yeah youtube twitch twitter github all that stuff so if folks want to go follow you and um whenever yeah the construction ends and the you know things settle down more uh whether that's you know, in the near-term future or the intermediate to long-term future um people can yeah check check out the videos and live streams there and um yeah i'll i guess thank you for coming on and i think there's a, a bunch of this will be interesting for the listeners i think that uh you know i i definitely i have to go read that python paradox paper which is it's paradoxical that python is the language chosen because it's now like the number one most popular language in the world um but at the time like i would much more have his have expected like a language like haskell which i i've heard the exact same argument at haskell meetups that you know it's not actually people think that there's a problem in finding haskell developers but if you really put yourself out there yeah there are a ton of people looking for haskell work but programming in some other language because they think that there are no haskell jobs so really there's these two sets of people that are perfect for each other and if you just go um, put the company out there like and they're looking for haskell you do that self-selection thing that there are people that are very passionate about that technology. So not only are they people that know Haskell, but they're people that, you know, really, really know Haskell and um, would, you know, even trade, you know, a certain amount of, you know, whether, whatever Google's paying them to code in golden language X yeah. uh, to, to be able to develop in that. And 
Yeah, I'll have to go read that paper. Interesting. Very funny that at the time it was written, they chose Python because now it's gone on to become uh, the exact opposite of what that paper is pitching. <laughs> he, he, he mentions a couple other languages there. One of them is J at the, at, at the bottom of that paper. He mentions J and, and puts it in the same category. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It just, it's just, you know, and they, they, they had a, a thing called CP free computer programming for everybody. They, 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 it wasn't just luck, right? It was a little bit of a, this is, you know, palatable and looks clean and, and, and what, but, but, but they, they made an effort to do this. And I, I, I haven't, I haven't watched the episode you guys did on uh, um, uh, popularizing the array languages uh, a couple episodes or listen to it, but I, I'm eager to listen to that because I think that I, like, I, I don't think it's out. I don't think it's crazy to think that, 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 you know, J and APL could, could be far more popular than they are. I mean, I have like five books on my shelf that were like mass, mass market books that people wrote that are all about, you know, statistics in, in APL, algebra and APL, you know, like mm -hmm. this was, this was at one time a market leader in, in program, in the, in the, in the world of programming. I mean, it's, it could be again. Yeah. It's a very, I, I love their, uh, we'll add this to the show notes as well, but there's a video by Richard Feldman called, um, I think we've mentioned it before on this podcast. Um, why isn't functional programming the norm? And it's, it's a talk about what makes a programming language popular and how come there's no sort of functional languages in the, on average across the different programming language rankings that there are, you know, 10 different ones. Um, typically it's, you know, uh, procedural or imperative languages like, you know, Java, C++, Python, etc. And uh, the talk talks about, you know, what are the, what is it that makes a language become super po super popular? And anyways, I'll for those that haven't seen it, I'll I'll leave that as a exercise if you want to go watch it. But yeah, th those kinds of discussions because it's, it's I think it's a lot less. Um, it's like not black and white. You know what what actually makes a language quote unquote successful, and also defining what success is. You know, it's not just necessarily always the number of people using the language, but. Um, anyways, yeah, th thank you for coming on. I think, uh, the listeners are definitely going to enjoy, uh, this and, uh, who knows, maybe, uh, in the future, if there's ever a K posting that, uh, 1010 data is looking for, we can come back and, in, uh, retrospectively add to the show notes in case of, you know, two years from now, it's, it's 2022 right now, but for, for all we know, uh, you know, there's someone in 2024 or something when, uh, there's a new posting and, uh, you know, check the show notes cause there might be a, a, a new posting in the future that has, has yet to come up yet. Um, but uh, yeah, once again, uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, with that, we will say happy array programming. Happy, happy array programming. programming.